Hey everyone, this is the Everyday Leader Podcast, where we hear from inspiring individuals building and leading teams across Africa. Today I speak with Krishna Ramesh, an Associate Director in the Africa Lead for Data on Demand at ID Insight. ID Insight is a mission-driven global advisory, data analytics, and research organization that helps global development leaders maximize their social impact. Krishna is from Botswana and based in Zambia and first joined ID Insight as an associate four years ago out of an interest in working on policymaking in Southern Africa. He has since been involved in setting up ID Insight's partnership with the government in Ghana and establishing ID Insight's operations in South Africa, Zimbabwe, and Ghana. As the Africa Chief of Staff, Krishna was responsible for developing new relationships across the continent, implementing ID Insight's regional strategy, and overseeing staffing across ID Insight's Africa offices. In his current role, Krishna leads ID Insights' work with government partners in Zambia and Malawi, as well as ID Insights' expansion of data on demand in Africa, an initiative intended to make high-quality data available to decision-makers much faster and at a fraction of the current cost. Krishna holds a bachelor's degree in economics from Cambridge University and a master's degree in international and development economics from Yale University. Krishna and I spoke about a wide range of topics, including his leadership journey in the international development sector. He shared about his experience with balancing the benefits and blind spots that come from having studied abroad, the culture of ownership and trust at his current company, and how he's managing to stay connected to his team and mission while working remotely. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today. Thank you. Morning, Chris. Thank you for having me and, and really excited for this conversation. From Lusaka, a wonderful city. I used to be based there uh, and I know you're just at the tail end of the rainy season, so I'm sure it's very green uh, over there. That is exactly right. It is green, crisp, cool morning. Uh, all, the, all the things I love about Lusaka. Before we talk about your current role at ID Insight, I would love to have you reflect a little bit upon uh, your past experience and, and how you uh, stepped into a leadership role. This podcast is called The Everyday Leader, and we talk with individuals at companies across Africa about their leadership journey. Uh, and often a good place to start is to hear uh, where that kind of leadership uh, origin story uh, came from, whether that was with your current company or if it was earlier in your life or your career uh, where you kind of got the bug to say, I want to step up and uh, lead people or lead initiatives to have an impact. So do you have a kind of a story for us on um, something that helped shape you early on as a leader? Yeah, I think there's, that's a good question. I, I sort of split it into two areas. I think the, the ambition um, came from very early on in terms of my motivation to enter this space as well through um, my their education was was uh, funded by the Botswana government, and I had the opportunity to to go abroad for university. And really through that process, and and thinking about sort of what, how do I want to have an impact? I think that's really where the the desire to come back home to to potentially lead an organization to play a leadership role in the way that uh, other organizations have a social impact, or I can have a social impact. Um, that's where the inspiration came from, really, the, the desire to, to, to give back or contribute in that sense. And then in terms of the opportunity that really came through ID Insight, um, I think the probably the, the biggest phase shift was when I um, stepped from a client facing, I entered ID Insight as a, as a sort of associate at the entry level, 
Um, and when I got the opportunity to step into the sort of chief of staff role, which was still a relatively nascent role, still being defined and, and um, quite broad in its nature, I think that was really the first big opportunity for me to be exposed to various components of leadership, to really learn by doing when it comes to working things out on the fly and also in terms of defining my own leadership style as well and, and getting to know what type of leader I want to be and, and, and having the opportunity to iterate on that. So I think that, that to me was the, the first big, uh, my, my sort of leadership story is, is a little bit jumping into various different opportunities as they arise. But I think that was the, the first big phase shift that began this, this journey. You had an opportunity to study abroad uh, both at uh, Cambridge uh, for undergrad and then Yale uh, for graduate school, and then immediately jumped back uh, onto the continent working with ID Insight uh, as an associate where you spent some time across a number of different countries. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that experience of uh, moving abroad for school, then coming back, and uh, what was that experience like uh, as you started to engage in the professional world, um, having had that experience abroad, uh, I'm, I'm imagining that ID Insight uh, is an international organization. It has a number of international staff, but also a lot of national staff in the various offices that uh, you work. So um, in my own experience at certain companies where there is a, a good mix of international and national staff, there's sometimes elements of uh, or perceived elements of kind of bias towards hiring national staff that have had experiences, whether that's work or school-related abroad, um, while, you know, among national staff who haven't had that experience and feeling like they are a little bit handicapped in that sense uh, in terms of uh, hiring and, and promotion potential. Could you maybe share about that experience and how you felt coming back and whether you saw that, in what ways you saw that as an advantage and how you were able to relate and uh, you know, work alongside and then ultimately manage uh, staff uh, in those country offices? Yeah, for sure. Um, so it was, it was an experience. It, it, had its, it had its pros and cons for sure. And, but I think it was, um, there are a couple of overarching themes for me. I think the first one is, as I said, being fortunate enough to, to, to have the opportunity to um, study abroad was just exposure. I think exposure was very helpful for me in in that leadership journey, both in terms of um, the, particularly in terms of just being exposed to many more people from many different places and the value of that when it came to coming back to ID Insight, the desire for me was always to to come back to Southern Africa as a region and and um, and sort of develop myself as a as a leader and as a professional here and 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 have an impact here. Um, that that opportunity to have had the chance to work with various many various different people and interact with various different people from around the world i think that made a big difference in in the component of relating i think a big part of uh my leadership style but i think a lot of people's leadership style is the value of and the importance of just relating with individuals and connecting with individuals and then sort of building that out into um how you help them grow how you sort of support them through their journey and and also how you get the best out of them. And so I think the there was a benefit of that in terms of um, in terms of what came out of my education. I think there were also challenges related to that in the sense of um, when you when you go abroad for your education and you come back, that's your first sort of step into the professional world in an environment that 
sort of feels like home. And I think that's very different to uh, naturally I didn't get the chance to go back to Botswana. I moved to Zambia and that's very different to what it's like to, to grow up there. And so I think there was a lot of adjustment from my sense in terms of um, getting used to and understanding what it means to, to, to work um, in this country and sort of how to, how to work with people, how to operate, especially when you've spent some time abroad and, and how to adjust your, your sort of working styles to, to fit that accordingly. Read a very good book recently called The Culture Map upon recommendation from, from others in the team in my organization. And I think a lot of that um, resonates with this experience in terms of just how you, uh, how you work effectively with different people. I think um, ID Insight as an organization, I think one of the important components of navigating that journey is um, appreciating the different experiences that people have had. Um, I think often we, we sort of fall into a trap of the tendency to believe that it's sort of better to have gone abroad, better to have traveled, better to go into XYZ university and then sort of come back and that, that puts you on a pedestal. I think there's benefits in the sense of experience, but then there's also blind spots that it creates. Uh, and I think one of the important components for me of that journey was just being a little bit more conscious of what those blind spots look like. Um, the fact that I don't necessarily have as much experience as others who um, have spent a lot more time working in the country, have, have both built professional experience and educational experience in that country and, and, and taking advantage of that. Um, and so I think navigating that big part of navigating that journey personally was just around um, being conscious of, of, of what it gave me in terms of strengths and the opportunity to relate to different people, but also being quite aware of, of what it means in terms of blind spots and, and, and ensuring that there's a, there's a level of humility that comes with it in terms of um, knowing, knowing what those opportunities allow you to bring to the table, um, but also being very conscious of, um, as you say, how that, how that manifests in terms of the team, in terms of impressions and in terms of sort of, value judgments that, that sometimes we, we overly place on, on different opportunities. Blind spots is super important and I'm glad you, you raised it. Um, you, you've been at ID Insight for now just under five years and you first started as an associate and you've been promoted now four times in the past uh, less than five years. I'm curious uh, with the issue of blind spots, if you have an example of, of when you were leading a team or some kind of managerial role where uh, you didn't foresee a blind spot uh, and, and how that played out and what the learnings were? Yeah, I think there's, there's a couple that come to mind. Um, I think the first one was, was sort of when I transitioned into the, into the chief of staff role. And part of that role was overseeing and managing our staffing on projects across the continent. Um, and so that sort of included um, associates, managers, directors are sort of building out the full team on specific engagements. Um, and a big part of that, I'd sort of come out of, as you said, I'd been a client facing associate, knew what it was like to work on projects, um, was working alongside a lot of my peers, but then also was sort of having this experience of um, staffing a lot of my peers, a lot of my friends at inside is quite uh, like, there's a big emphasis on interpersonal connections alongside sort of professional connections. Um, and that was, a, I think, one of the blind spots that I recognized was my, my sort of style is very relationship-oriented for a long time. And I think, uh, I think that continues to be very important to me in the sense of sort of leading with compassion and building, building strong relationships with your team. Um, 
But at the same time, when you sort of step into those positions, particularly quite quickly, uh, there's an important skill you need to learn around sort of decision making, communicating decision making, and the fact that not everybody's always going to be pleased with 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 your decisions. And and so I think it was a a very fast tracked learning process in the sense of sort of being being confident and particularly communicating decisions effectively, um, and doing so in a way that makes clear sort of why one is making that decision, acknowledging the fact that it might not make everybody happy um, and that everybody might be people that you have good personal relationships with, um, but also sort of doing so in a way that um, that continues to be to continues to be compassionate and continues to sort of take all these different considerations to heart. So I think that for me was 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 a a, a sort of blind spot in the sense of learning about it a lot faster than I had anticipated or I hoped and, and, and sort of learning by doing, um, which has been a lot of my experience by, by sort of nature of, of, of growing within the organization and giving, being given so many opportunities so quickly is, is really learning by doing about um, some of these areas that I might not have had experience in before. But that was one that, that definitely stood out in terms of just shifting, shifting my attitude towards leadership, but also shifting my attitude towards sort of my role in itself and, and what was important to to execute that effectively as far as just core core skills around communication that one might not need to have when um, at, at earlier stages. Within ID Insight, were you managing staff from the very beginning or was this something you ended up taking on at a later point? And when you look at the various roles you've taken on over the years, was this mostly intentional where you were actively seeking out leadership roles and promotions, or was this something that comes naturally uh, given the growth of ID Insight in the staffing structure? Yeah, good question. Um, so to your first question, I think as the way ID Insight works is there's a lot of, this relates to your second question as well, ownership is a really important value within the organization. And I think right from sort of the very beginning before I joined ID Insight, one of the big reasons I did join was because I sort of felt like this is a place that is both rapidly growing, but also has a certain attitude towards developing young individuals in the sense of we trust you, right? Like we trust you to take on additional responsibilities. We trust you to sort of like um, seek help, seek support, seek guidance when necessary, but also to, to really own that process. And so when it comes to leading individuals, um, when starting on the sort of more client facing side as an associate, you get fewer opportunities to, to manage individuals within the team. However, there's still quite a lot of leadership experience you end up accumulating through a lot of the work that we do at ID Insight is around um, we're an organization that's grounded on data and evidence. And a big part of that is obtaining data and evidence. And so one of my early leadership experiences was sort of being thrust into the deep end with regards to sort of conducting a data collection exercise. And so hiring, training, managing a group of data collectors, ensuring that process goes smoothly, um, maintaining motivation, keeping the team sort of oriented towards a goal. Um, and that happens, that happened for me about a year into, into my ID Insight journey. Um, and so I think right from the beginning, you're, you're exposed to different opportunities when it comes to, to leadership. And then that Amplified as I, particularly as I stepped into chief of staff role, but even subsequently um, more on the side of of leading projects, um, and that applied both in terms of the projects themselves, as far as 
operating within within ID Insights project sector, managing an associate, overseeing a manager, um, but then also in terms of of other initiatives within the organization and contributing within the team. So um, the the leadership journey starts quite early um, and and is sort of couched within this idea of really owning owning your project, owning your work, and and um, taking on. I sort of think of it often as stepping up as much as you're as you're willing and able to step up and and that really characterizes i think the exposure to opportunities for me as well so the the foundation was there in terms of the values of the organization in the sense of really this idea of bringing in young talented passionate people and if you are performing well and if you're showing the aptitude to grow then um celebrating that and providing those opportunities um, but at the same time, from my standpoint, I think the importance of having a, I had a clear vision, as I said at the start, for the fact that I wanted to grow and sort of an ambition for what I wanted to, what I wanted to do at ID Insight, how I wanted ID Insight to support my growth journey. And so I think on that front, building the relationships, developing mentors within the organization, learning off as many other people as possible, sort of puts you in the right place at the right time um, with regards to when opportunities come up. Um, sort of being an individual who's front of mind as far as, okay, that person can can do their job um, and and can can sort of step into additional roles. So I think it was a combination of of the two factors in terms of just executing well is a central and the most fundamental component of, I think, being exposed to additional opportunities. I sort of think of it as if you can do the core of your work uh, really, really well with your eyes closed, that sort of creates space for you to explore to take on sort of additional things on the side to expose yourself to additional skills be it developing new projects um building out new clients uh supporting and and building coaching and leadership skills and other aspects of the team um and but then at the same time sort of uh really looking to and i think it's it's an attitude of looking to learn off other people and that way sort of exposing yourself to senior leadership within the organization quite early um, and therefore, being able to and being willing to step into sort of gaps and opportunities when they present themselves and and taking that as a challenge. I think that's been a, a big part of when I think of it, the way I the way I've sort of proceeded. So and, and luck plays a big part in that, of course, when it comes to as you can be in the right place at the right time, but the opportunity has to come up and you have to be sort of willing and able to take it. So. So yeah, so I think it's a it's a combination of those two things when it comes to getting the core prerequisites right, being in an organization that that enables that and treats that as a as a strength instead of as a threat um, when it comes to the ambition side of things, um, and then also sort of making that ambition clear and and doing what needs to be done to show that to build the trust that you can sort of execute on a on a broader mandate and on a broader role potentially sort of earlier than than what, what might be seen on paper. To have both the organization, the culture, in terms of empowering leaders to grow and take ownership, but you also need the individual leaders to also be uh, eager and ambitious to take on that ownership and to execute uh, at an excellent level and to kind of enable additional uh, trust and ownership and growth. Uh, so I think you your reflection there is, is spot on and, and definitely resonates with experience uh, I've had at different organizations who have given me opportunities to grow rapidly. So you mentioned a little bit uh, earlier on that in your first role, 
uh, as an associate, you kind of immediately were overseeing data collection activities and I imagine were spending some time in the field, uh, understanding the nuances of collecting uh, data to, to help inform a policy decision-making and, and other organizational decision-making. Um, but as, as each promotion happens, when you move to the manager level, to the director level where you're now at, I imagine there's uh, some natural distance that's created between you and, and uh, things on the ground in terms of data collection, but also ele other elements of, of your core um, uh, business uh, or, or activity. Uh, I'm curious how you go about making sure that uh, you uh, stay in touch with uh, lower levels of staff and ultimately the core activity of ID Insight when you're at more of a higher level role? Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. And I think one that became even more pertinent because a lot of these steps happened during COVID. <laughs> and COVID, I think, has made the pandemic has made this a big challenge in terms of staying in touch with any staff, to be honest, um, with regards to before that, my approach and the pandemic happened just as I'd sort of transitioned into uh, the chief of staff role. And I had these big ambitions for traveling to all of our offices, having a lot more in-person interactions with as many individuals. I'm someone as an individual who gets a lot of energy from working with my teammates. I think my teammates are the, the sort of the team at ID Insight is the most special thing that we have and, and is one of the big motivators for me. And so, um, I, I was very excited about the idea of being able to travel, being able to sort of visit different offices, meet people in person, build relationships with, with my teammates and across all levels and, and, and make the most of that in-person interaction, that sort of breeding ground for ideas, which, which inevitably ends up happening when you get a group of smart, passionate people having a drink or having dinner and just talking about the sector. Uh, that didn't happen obviously. Um, and I think that uh, pandemic has been challenging in many ways, but one of them has been this idea of sort of how do you retain, maintain and build new relationships given ID Insight has grown so much over the last two years as well, um, from a sort of team of 40 or 50 on the continent to uh, a team of about 120 globally to sort of almost double that now. Um, so for me, I think the, the biggest principles were um, time i think fundamentally connections do take time and it was a big part of it was a sort of sacrifice that i was willing to make in terms of when you folks come in um conducting onboarding sessions for them so that you get a chance to meet them and 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 learn a little bit more about their journey and connect on a personal level um if it comes to sort of individuals within my office trying to take time to have it 30 minute conversation every couple months and, and just sort of maintain those touch points. Um, and then as well as sort of just trying to, trying to maintain as many contact points as possible through, I think by the nature of leadership roles, as you said, you get a little bit distance from the ground, but then you also get a lot broader in terms of the number of people that you work with. Um, and so uh, the importance of making the most of that breadth through in terms of building connections. So for me, one, one big principle was just, um, even though that in-person connection cannot happen anymore, building in some time to just do a 20-minute call, a 30-minute call with new individuals when they come in or with new people that I'm working with when I start working with them to, to develop that initial personal connection. And I think that made, a, that made a huge difference for me, both in terms of understanding the people, but also in terms of understanding 
the work, right? And I think within my role, particularly as the chief of staff, but also after that, there was a there was a close connection I had with all of our projects in the sense of your job is to know everything that's going on, um, but less so what that means in in practice. So I think that that for me is is a big part of it when it comes to connections. I think the second part is um, one of the big areas I stepped into a lot and I continue to really enjoy is building out new relationships, new partnerships, exploring new potential projects that ID Insight can do. And I think for me, that's one of the most exciting components of, of stepping into a leadership role is you get the opportunity and you also get the, the sort of the space in terms of seeing things bigger picture to, to, build out new, to build out new work and to have broader conversations with, with other potential partners in the sector. And being, being closely involved in that also gives you a very, it allows you to take advantage of the sort of bigger picture mindset that you have, but also it allows you to benefit from those experiences of actually doing the work itself, because you're fundamentally talking about what you can do as an organization to support other organizations and to have an impact. And so stepping more into that component of things was also for me a very valuable way of um, continuing to, to, to stay in touch with the work that we did um, with the impact. I think a big part of a big challenge of, of um, stepping into broader roles is sometimes you, you, you risk losing touch with why are we doing what we're doing and what is the impact of our work? And I think when, when in a role that when in a job, when in an organization that, is premised upon being passionate about the work that you do, sort of maintaining that connection ends up being really important. So um, those are two channels in terms of sort of the connections with people, the um, role that you play in, in building out new partnerships and talking about the organization and the work that you can do, as well as um, for me in the second part of, in, through most of my time as a chief of staff and obviously in what follows, um, I was still involved in executing and managing projects. Uh, and so therefore through managing those projects, um, you you continue to, to sort of have that grip of what does our work look like in practice? What is the way that in which we're supporting partners? What is the impact that we're having? Um, and what are the challenges that we're having in, in, in practice on the ground, especially during COVID? Um, and those are a few things that, that have helped me a lot, um, especially through this period of, remoteness um which 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 has had many challenges can you tell us a bit more about id insight in this particular uh, data and demand service and, and what your role is in in leading it yeah for sure so id insight is as might have come out is really what we do we're an international organization international nonprofit organization oriented towards um supporting partners supporting governments, supporting um, foundations, NGOs, social enterprises to use data and evidence in order to enhance the social impact that we have. So as an organization, success for us is increasing and improving the social impact that programs are having, the impact that programs are having on people um, across the regions in which we work, which is um, Africa, South and Southeast Asia. Uh, and really the premise is uh, when we think about data use, I mean, data use is everywhere at this point in time sort of data evidence um these are all words that are used overused um uh, within across a lot of sectors but when we think about sort of this in the for-profit sector when we think about this in the business world um if an organization is not making best use of data it's long fallen behind um and from our perspective, from my perspective, from ID Insights perspective, there's really a lot of room for that to grow, for 
data to be more effectively used, for decisions to be more evidence-informed within the social sector too, um, both using the similar methodologies to what might be used elsewhere, but then also in terms of using different methodologies to understand exactly what a program is doing. So everything that we do as ID Insight is oriented towards um, working with data, bringing those frontier methodologies, bringing sort of the, the most sophisticated ways to mobilize um, data and evidence and tailoring that directly to what is a what does a partner want what questions does a partner have how can we help them answer the questions that they have on what is the impact that my program is having what are the ways that i can enhance the impact that my program is having how do i want to design this sort of education policy as a government to maximize the the benefit that it can have for for individuals for citizens and so that's that's the basic premise of the work that we do and that feeds into um, data on demand quite nicely. So that applies, there's many different ways in which you can support that. You can support that through um, evaluating programs. You can support that through sort of more sophisticated methods of working with data in the data science world. But fundamentally, all of it needs high quality, uh, high quality data, high quality information, and ideally high quality information that is much faster and much cheaper than it exists right now. I think uh, on the continent, but also more generally, we know that um, good data is hard to come by. And so the whole idea of premise of data on demand is this new sort of innovation that allows you to obtain high quality data much faster, much cheaper, and and um, on a range of different things, depending upon the questions that you might have. Um, so there's much more technical details in terms of how this happens through a sort of decentralized network of individuals who are trained in sort of electronic data collection and can be mobilized across the country um, when needed, a sort of detailed backend data management software and, and hardware when it comes to how do you collect and process vast amounts of data at any point in time and innovations around what are the ways in which we can collect that information so that it's representative of a population. And so um, data on demand over the last few years has been rolled out, piloted, iterated in India um, and at this point in time, we can collect data that's sort of representative of 250 million people in a couple of weeks. And this was mobilized a lot during COVID when it came to informing decisions around um, COVID-19 response policy, COVID-19 sort of behavior change. Um, and so what my role is, is really sort of we're looking to explore how we can expand this beyond India, how we can expand this across the continent, um, how we can take this. This, this model that's been sort of piloted, tested, and iterated in India and apply it to make high quality data available much faster and much cheaper in specific countries on the continent. And that's really what we're trying to do over the course of um, the next months, years, is identify where can this where can this idea, where can this innovation have the greatest impact? Um, and where can we pilot this uh, on the continent in terms of specific countries? What are the opportunities through which uh, this data can plug in and and benefit partners, uh, and then also what are the sort of models through which we can we can work in order to to make this beneficial um, to ensure that it continues to be orders of magnitude faster, orders of magnitude more cost effective than current solutions when it comes to data collection, but also that it can uh, really I think a big part of this is is amplifying voices that are not amplified to date. Um, when it comes to how decisions are made, when it comes to how policy is made or how programs are implemented, ensuring that the people who are being impacted by those programs have a voice in 
how those programs are designed, the work that those programs are doing, what those programs are fundamentally. Um, and so that's a big motivation behind data on demand is really uh, providing a means and a way through which voices can be amplified that don't necessarily have the volume that they need to have right now within conversations around development, around policy, around programming. Um, so that's 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 sort of ID Insight and some of the still big, still broad questions that um, I'm going to be focusing on on trying to tackle alongside this this fantastic team that's been working in India for some time, building the service out over over the course of the next the next few months and years. Data is super important for decision making, and I've seen it firsthand that a lot of organizations, uh, even to this day, still rely on some pretty outdated, slow. Um, error-prone data collection methods. So uh, the faster and, and easier it can be to equip organizations to measure their impact in order to make better decisions, uh, the better. Uh, so super happy to hear of the progress being made there. and uh, Looking forward to how that project is uh, applied to the continent, uh, given the different nuances in some of the markets that you work at. I, I also wanted to ask you uh, to reflect a little bit about the progress you've made, uh, at least in the sector that you've seen, you're now in a leadership role and you're exposed to some of the uh, new trends and the new uh, types of decisions, the types of data that's being used at the policy and the national and the regional level. Uh, I'm sure that during your time at Cambridge and Yale, uh, you were, that was about six years total? Yeah, it was, well, four years in total. Then you now for the next four years or so have actually been implementing and on the ground. Uh, I'm curious, uh, during school, you probably had you know visions and uh, ambitions for what uh, changes could be made in the international development sector. Uh, and now you're living it and experiencing it and, and helping drive that change. Um, what did you initially imagine uh, back in school um, that hasn't yet come to fruition or maybe is just around the corner. Uh, Cause I know I also studied economics uh, an undergraduate and was able to spend some time in, in Ghana. And that's what initially inspired me to get involved with microfinance. And when I was actually in the microfinance sector, it, it hadn't quite got to the point that I had like envisioned it could be. Now that I'm seeing all the investment in FinTech, I think uh, things are moving in the right direction and underserved uh, consumers are, are now um, uh, more and more able to access various forms of finance uh, technology uh, through through technology. So uh, definitely great momentum there. But I'm, I'm, I'd love to hear from you uh, more broadly on the international development sector and, and um, what you're seeing there compared with what you had uh, wanted to see when you were in the kind of ivory tower, so to say. <laughs> yeah, that is a... Fantastic question. Um, I think I think you're so right. I think the the experiences that we have during school and when we're studying this are fundamentally theoretical. And I think a lot of the things that I thought about a lot and and my motivation for getting within the sector um, was around influencing, informing policy at the macro level. Um, and and that was really what excited me was was the the room for sort of well-designed policy to have an um, incredibly scalable impact within specific countries, but even across specific countries, across countries um, on, on people. Um, and 
that's on the sort of more macro level and then a lot of the micro level what you sort of learn when you're studying economics when you're studying development economics in particular is about sort of individual interventions things that things that might work things that have worked things that haven't worked and and sort of how these different interventions across sectors um can can scale uh and there's a lot of this sort of attention on scaling on solutions that sort of can can apply in one place and then um can if they do work can be sort of almost you think of it when you think of it in a theoretical way when you think of it sort of at school you think it's 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 fundamentally a much more simple process than it is right um and i think that's the that's the nature of i guess education at least education in economics and and development economics is you sort of build that theoretical underpinning and then you jump into real life and you have this harsh realization that obviously it's not as simple as it looks <laughs> but uh and i think that that definitely sort of uh resonates with my experience as well but i think there's to your specific question i think there's two big themes that um i've seen when thinking about this in theory and when when sort of practicing and when when supporting this 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 work in practice the first one which has been a sort of positive trend which we you don't get exposed to as much to be honest when you're studying this is is the importance of of localizing decision making of sort of decolonizing the development space fundamentally and 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 thinking about sort of how and where decisions are made uh relative to who's actually being impacted by those decisions and this talks of this sort of references a little bit to the data on demand conversation that we've been having I was talking about before where fundamentally in the way that you sort of understand study the development space in the way that you sort of do development economics is is very oriented towards um a western perspective fundamentally at least for me and i think this is, this is the case because of the institutions that i study that um you get a very strong theoretical understanding of um how development institutions should work how policy should work but there's not so much of that that's grounded in practice um grounded in the fact that different countries are very different um different policy contexts are very different uh different sort of program contexts are very different and and fundamentally um there is a there is a this, this sounds very simple when you say it but people should have a say in what they need <laughs> and what is important to them and i think that that sort of decolonization movement has been i think uh, a very important component of the sort of trends within development um there's still a lot of progress to be made um but where the the direction in which we're going when it comes to the importance of trusting organizations that are operating on the ground and that have the understanding of what the local context is to do the best work when it comes to directing resources to these organizations um to the extent that we can to 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 do the best work and when it comes to sort of um having individuals who fundamentally sort of have an understanding of the context in which we operate and the context in which sort of policy or or, or decisions operate and the fact that that is a lot more sophisticated and nuanced than it might be while we're while we're at school so i think that's one big trend that sort of is 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 where you see or where i've seen the biggest sort of theory to practice differential um and and where i've seen a lot of a lot of positive movement i think over over the last few years and beyond when it comes to the way in which people think about uh development both academically but then also practically um i think the other big component which i think about a lot is 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 how decisions are made right i think 
when we look at sort of how we want data, I mean, studying economics in particular, you sort of approach decision making in a very uh, linear way, uh, often in a very sort of rational, I mean, and economists know all about rational expectations. You you approach decision making in a very rational way. And I think that that is very different to how things operate in practice. And at ID Insight, I spend a lot of time, I spent a year in Ghana sort of sitting within the government and we do a lot of work with government since. And it's it's all well and good to, to think policy can be quickly shaped, quickly informed, but the practice is that, and we've seen this not just in developing countries, we've seen this across the world within the policy space at the moment where policy is a is a quite controversial and fragmented uh, discussion. <laughs> and the process of developing policy, the process of creating change requires a lot more than uh, good intentions and good evidence. It requires a deep understanding of the political landscape. It requires a deep understanding of um, different stakeholder interests. It requires a deep understanding of uh, all the other elements that feed into that sort of that process of change. And I think um, that as well has been has been a big a big theme, a big learning, a big a big sort of uh, realization over over time. Fundamentally, is is I think just where and how we can play a role. I think it's where humility also ends up being important for anybody operating within this, in this space is sort of uh, understanding where and how we can play a role, um, knowing what sort of our respective strengths are, but also acknowledging the importance of different types of knowledge, different types of uh, expertise in, in that process and the fact that it ends up being an iterative process. It's it's not as linear as, as we might like uh, anywhere in the world, to be honest. Um, so those are, I think... Uh, a couple of learnings, which which I, there's a lot of parallels that one can make between those and, and I think leadership learnings in general as we go when it comes to unsurprisingly things are things are a little bit more complicated than you always expect. Krishna, thank you so much for sharing your journey. Uh, it's really inspiring to see you have the opportunity to study at some of the you know most renowned global institutions and then be able to uh, come and work not just in the nonprofit sector, but with government stakeholders and private sector to really enact uh, the change uh, that you kind of uh, have seen the need for uh, in your studies. Um, I think that's kind of everyone's aim to be able to identify a problem and then uh, take steps, even if they're maybe seemingly small day to day to make uh, things better uh, for everyone. So uh, I definitely see that happening with data on demand and in your role. Uh, I'm wishing you the best in your continued journey. Your work is cut out for you, for sure, uh, with uh, what I, I imagine is the, the growth plan for data on demand and, and trying to get different stakeholders to um, use that type of service in a meaningful way. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much again for your time and for sharing openly about your leadership uh, journey. Thank you so much for having me. I, I really enjoyed this conversation and, and appreciate the chance to have it. Thank you.